Hey, family, what's going on? Hold up a sec. Let me try my keys real quick. Oh, there it go. And that works. Okay. Hey, family, I'm about to get into this interview. If you know anything about Jonathan Soul, I talked to uh, sci-fi writers, comic book creators from the African community worldwide. So sit back and relax. If you're interested in what creative people think about business, the business that they're in, think about culture, think about politics, you're in the right place. If you're not, then there's a, you see that door down the hall? It's an airlock. Don't even worry about it. I got you. Just step in there and I'll take care of everything. All right. All right. Let's get into this interview. Uh, I got a special guest uh, in the virtual building. Uh, somebody who not only is a crafter uh, of uh, intellectual, uh, you know, essays, um, analysis, uh, points of view, uh, but somebody who has this pulse on the science fiction uh, part of the community um, that we like to call nerddom. Uh, somebody who uh, not only uh, has his foot on the, uh, the fiction side, but also uh, keeps his ear to the ground on the nonfiction side in terms of, you know, social commentary and politics. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's something that uh, he wrote recently uh, that caught my eye and I can't read the whole thing because one, I'm a slow reader Two, I didn't get his permission, but I'm going to uh, read this just as a way for you to kind of get a sense of the caliber of person that I have on the program today. All right. So the essay is uh, Killmonger's Lament. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of people identify, of course, with, you know, the Eric Killmonger character. But uh, uh, the guest uh, definitely, I think he kind of spoke for all of us uh, in these uh, next few sentences I'm going to read. And again, it's from the uh, article, uh, Killmonger's Lament. I felt Killmonger in those moments, in my heart of hearts, in the place I never show anyone. The place where I shove every microaggression, every backhanded compliment, every a rejection due to my color, my race, your belief in my innate inferiority, grief from lost opportunities, deaths in my community, whether they be from poverty, drugs, crime, uh, political or judicial malfeasance. Every injustice I've learned of perpetuated against people of color through the power of uh, patriarchal supremacy, white nationalist thought anywhere through time and space. Uh, they're all thrown in there. Lest they poison me and my ambitions, distract me from my missions, undermine my sense of self. Steal from me every private and public joy I shall ever know. I cast them into that abyss, swirling and dark, rich from the shadows uh, looming over me nearly every second of my life. Into that abyss, in which I dare not look for fear of what I might find there. Killmonger's lament writ large in me, Wakanda forever. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was written by Thaddeus Howes, a writer, an essayist, a futurist, and the guest on uh, Jonathan Soul. How you doing, brother? I'm good, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Real Thanks. good, man. Real good. Forgive me for my poor reading, man, but that was just such a powerful... <laughs> 
you know, uh, a couple of paragraphs. I had to I had to put it there. No worries, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, it's it was it was heartfelt. It was when I originally wrote it, I, I was having some issues. I've been reading a whole bunch of essays written about Killmonger, and I realized that none of them talked to the real heart of the matter for me, which was why did everybody knowing that Killmonger or what he was saying sounded really crazy? Why are so many people willing to, to buy for, buy into it? And the reason they're buying into it is because, let's face it, sometimes it seemed like the answer. You know you can't do it. What, what, did, what did Chris Rock say? He said, I wouldn't do it. You know, I wouldn't kill everybody. But I understand. I relate. <laughs> I feel his energy. But, you know, it was wrong. But you know what? When nobody's looking, when you look at your deep, dark, inner heart, Killmonger's statements speak to all of us, all of the diaspora, all of our ambitions that are always lost, that those those uh, those dreams that never get fulfilled um, that we all have. I know we all have. And if you can tell me you've never had a dream that had been delayed because of some issue living, dealing with being black in America, I'm going to call you a liar. Hmm. I'm just going to keep it real because all of us know it. If it, if it hasn't happened to you, it's happened to someone you know. So somebody you know has had a dream denied, a dream deferred because of living in America. I don't stop me. It has never stopped me. But I know I have had to put my dreams aside because of something somebody had to say about me as a person of color. Not because of my skills, because I keep my skills 100 Mm. Not because of my inability to communicate, because I keep my communication skills clean and di my diction is great. You know, I speak the Queen's English. I use good words. I take my time. So it's not because I'm not able to communicate. So what else can it be but my inability to be white today? I'm never going to be white today. So anybody expecting that has always been disappointed. But I'm going to always be great. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. how I choose to be. I always choose to be great. And so... Killmonger spoke because Killmonger was great at what he did. He was a murdering fool. Those 2,000 dots all over his body, that made him a murdering fool. But he could never channel past the pain. He could never work it into something constructive. And that's where Killmonger and I fall off. Now, let me, let me, let's, let's go there for a minute. The moment when he, uh, you know, like threw the child over the waterfall and he with the sand and the herb and the thing he's goes back to his apartment which i thought was interesting as opposed to the meadow you know almost makes me think he went to purgatory instead of heaven so to speak but uh he goes there and um he has a conversation with his father and something was said to the effect of maybe you know maybe what you call home is lost and that's why they can't find us do you remember Yes, I remember. Mm -hmm. He did not go to Djalaya. He was supposed to. He mm -hmm. should have went, except that he didn't have the emotional connection. He never, I, I believe the, the, the trip to Djalaya, the, the mystical purple land, mm -hmm. I think that is a part of the Black Panther psychology. You okay. connect to those people because they meant something to you as a part of your lineage. But okay. I think in his case, in Killmonger's case, the only person he'd ever really connected to was his father. Mm. And for him, Jalio wasn't 
the lineage of the Black Panther. It was this one man, this one person who told him and he believed him that one day I will take you home. And for mm -hmm. him, when his father died, Jalia was denied to him. This was the, this was as good as it was ever going to be for him because this is where he learned who he was and this is where he learned what he could be. Mm -hmm. But he had never seen the promised land and he was never going to. And that's kind of how it is for us. That's why so many of us, I think, are bound by our limitations. We're, literally, he was bound by the limitation of his connection to his father. He could never let his father's death go. Hmm. For him, Jaya was never a possibility because he could never let go of his past. And that's a hard place to be. I know it personally. Okay. Okay. Um, I, uh, when I first reached out to you, I, I wanted to talk about some of your work. And uh, then we touched base again. I wanted to talk about the idea of using uh, fiction to heal. Um, I think one of the ways that uh, Killmonger also resonates with me and maybe other people. And you mentioned uh, Chris Rock earlier. You know, Chris Rock did a joke about um, the tiger biting the, you know, the guys <laughs> in Vegas. Yes. You, didn't you go know crazy. where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think that Killmonger was crazy. No, he wasn't. He I was just hard. think that, uh, yeah, I just think that he wasn't, he didn't have uh, the right strategy. Maybe we can put it that needed, way. Brother. Killmonger didn't have what he needed. What Killmonger <laughs> needed was someone to love him and to guide him and to channel that frustration, to channel that hate. Mm -hmm. You know, hate, hate can absorb, it, it can absorb you. You, you can become your hate. I know this. Hate used to power everything I did. Mm. It powered, it drove me, it motivated me. It was my breakfast, it was my lunch, it was my dinner. When someone said you couldn't do it, if I hated them, I did it because I hated them. Not because I, I wanted to, but because I proved them. I had to prove to them that they were wrong about me, that they couldn't be better than me. Mm -hmm. So I relate to Killmonger because I relate to using hate as a weapon, as a tool to motivate you and push you forward. But you know what I learned? Hate is reflexive. It requires something to hate. As soon as you run out of things to hate, you can't go anywhere. Mm. If you love you, you can always go forward. When you love you, you can always go forward. You can always push yourself past whatever is in front of you. But if all you have is hate, as soon as you run out of things to hate, you stop moving. That means you start finding things to hate. You start finding people to hate. And ultimately, hate is destructive. And it will destroy you as clearly as anything. And I know that from personal experience. That's why, for me, Killmonger's lament is exactly that. He struggled with a thing he should have been taught how to handle, how to get rid of, how to lose, how to love, how to find himself. He was never aware of himself until that last moment. Right before he dies, he becomes aware of what happened. And mm. he, he's aware that it went wrong. And at that moment, he realized he could never be free. No matter what happened to him, he would never be free. And that's why he opted to just die. Because at that point for him, there was no place to go. He couldn't see himself being anything other than what he was. And that ultimately was the horror of it. Okay. Was as skilled and as capable and as brilliant and as – remember, he went to MIT. You know, yeah. he was – he was not an idiot. He was an, he was an incredible genius. He was right. like pretty much probably anybody in Wakanda, uh, an incredible genius. But because he couldn't free himself, he couldn't get away from that. And all he could see was what had happened to his family and what had happened to his people. 
and all of us were his people. And he just, he couldn't be free. He couldn't mm-hmm. see himself being free. And it's a shame because if there was ever a champion that was needed to do the things that needed to be done, Killmonger was that brother. Yeah. He was that brother. He was the one who would have been out there every day, tirelessly making the world a better place. But he would have had to free himself first. And that just wasn't there. Uh, I like uh, this group named uh, Funkadelic. And uh, Funkadelic, particularly George Clinton, has this phrase, uh, free your mind and your ass will follow. You Amen, familiar? brother. That's the one. Uh, so I'm, I'm biting off of that vibration and, and I'm, I want to pitch this idea to you and I want you to kind of, you know, give me your thoughts on it and let's just, let's just, you know, do a little ping pong here. Um, free your fiction and your nonfiction will follow. You know, m- meaning that, you know, people complain about, uh, oh, well, you know, there's, the black economic thing isn't working the way we want or, you know, the political, this and the third. What if we were to start building that in our fiction? You know, all of us love the way uh, the black people in Africa, not Afri- not in America, but in Africa was betrayed in Black Panther, you know, uh, and everything like that. And, and it gave people a good feeling. It was a nice sense. We felt connected. But then he couldn't really go far enough. But in, if you're an African-American, African, whatever, you know, independent, you can write whatever the hell you want, <laughs> you know. And if you write long enough, like, you know, Thaddeus uh, Howes, you're going to have a following kind of a thing. What if we start building, you know, those kind of things that we want offline, you know, in, in our fiction? What do you think about that, Thaddeus? Will that help the kind of recondition us, kind of debrief us. I feel like we got PSD up in this place. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, now all of us have access to medicinal marijuana. So we need some therapy, Thaddeus. (laughs) What can we do, brother? Dr. House, talk to us, man. Uh, What's your prescription? (laughs) My prescription? My prescription is the one I've been prescribing for years lately. Mm -hmm. If you want to be free, you must first be able to imagine being free. Hmm. I find so many of us don't read speculative fiction because the mindset is, why should I bother to imagine a thing that will never happen? Or why should I bother to imagine a place where the issues that plague me in my life aren't real because I got enough real life, you know? So mm-hmm. people want to reread the things that they know. But when I started reading speculative fiction, I was in the Bronx, in the South Bronx in the 70s. And the South mm-hmm. Bronx in the 70s was just outside on the border of hell. So mm-hmm. I know all about people struggling and pushing and trying to get to places, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. But science fiction gave me something that the South Bronx couldn't. It gave me vistas that I could only see in my imagination, someplace okay. so far from the horror of my life that for the first time I was like, transfixed. I wanted more. I wanted to see more. I wanted to know more. I wanted to be more. And it was the first time in my life where I imagined I wasn't limited to the neighborhood that I lived in, that the Bronx was a place and a place on a map. That's all it was, Mm -hmm. that I could go somewhere else. And the first places I went were to the stars. I read the old science fiction, Heinlein, Asimov, uh, Bradbury, you know, Ray Bradbury, my God, the man was just brilliant. You know, he would take you in so many places and he would do it in short stories, which is how I ended up writing short stories. Bradbury's short stories allowed me to imagine 
a different world every 10 pages. And it was like, wow, this guy's great. He was always going someplace new. And he made me realize that those vistas that I wanted, they would never be found outside my door. They would only be found in the pages of good fiction. Hmm. But it wasn't just the fiction. What they were really saying was that those fictions could be us if we wanted to make the effort to free ourselves from what we knew. Because mm-hmm. half the people who are struggling out there in the world right now who won't read science fiction because it isn't real, what they're really saying is, I won't read about something I don't believe I'm entitled to, I don't believe I can have, I don't believe I should ever aspire to. They've never seen it. They come from generational poverty. They come from generational suffering. And as a result, for them, the world is as small as the place they live in, the block they live on, and the ideas that they have. They've been given those ideas down from generation to generation. Those are their ideas, and that's all they know. One of the reasons I love science fiction is because it says, you know what? What you know won't get you anywhere in this story. You're going to have to embrace new ideas. You're going to have to embrace new possibilities. You're going to have to embrace the idea that being human may mean something quite different a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now. Can we imagine a thousand years from now? It's like trying to imagine a thousand years ago. What were we doing a thousand years ago? Uh, Mostly dying of starvation and disease and suffering. If I were to take someone from a thousand years ago and bring them into the present, we'd be like, We'd be gods. We'd be magicians to them. We all have running water. We, you know, walk into your average home, you have running water. A king from the 12th century appearing today would be a pauper because Mm. all he has is money. But I have running water. I have refrigeration. I don't have to worry about dying from a scratch. I don't have to. I can can use the bathroom in my house and it will not poison me, you know, a month later. I, I live like I have electricity. My God, can you imagine? I can walk into a room and make there be light. I can get information from all over the world in a matter of seconds. I'm like a god to him. I'm a wizard. I'm a god. I'm a magician. I can do so many things he could only dream of. What will it be like a thousand years from now? Only way we know that is to imagine it. There is no statute that says white people, pardon me, will only ever be able to imagine the future. The future doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the people who dare to dream of it. Mm. My God, we can dream of anything we want. Then it's up to us to dream of things that people will believe in enough to make real. That's what Star Trek did. They dreamed up enough that people went out to try to create those things. And by God, many people these days make a living trying to create the things that science fiction talked about 60 years ago. I'm okay with that. We need to free our minds in that same way. Embrace science fiction, embrace fantasy, embrace comic books. They seem silly at first, but once you can embrace the impossible, everything else is easy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have to uh, apologize for my friend. I thought I called a, a futurist and a essayist. I ended up calling an evangelist. Uh, please forgive me, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't know I was talking to the bishop from the future. Uh, you really was on that soapbox, man. And I agree with uh, everything that you're saying. Let me, and, and I don't want to keep you all night, but let me get you, uh, your opinion on this idea of leveraging technology against, you could say racism. I had a, uh, a guest on my program, uh, Sinclair, oh, the brother's name slips my mind, but anyway, he's a Bitcoin entrepreneur and he talked about, you know, levering technology against uh, you know, 
racism or whatever. So you use the example, hey, you know, I'm in New York City. I can't get a cab, but I got my little Uber app or my Lyft app. And then boom, you know, so I don't have to deal with that piece because I actually I was the art director years ago. Couldn't get a cab. I had my assistant there, a cute little girl. She went out there. Boom. So is that a possibility in this environment? Is there is there opportunities for us to sidestep, you know, prejudiced men and women who happen to have, you know, the the levers of production and and be able to uh, to go straight to to our people and connect? Technology is like any other tool. It works for whoever can figure out how to make it work for them. My feeling has been that racism is never going to go away, not because we don't want it to, but because it makes too many people rich. So the secret for us is to figure out, and I this was this is something I taught years. I, I taught for a few years as a, as a college professor, and one of the things I taught my students was Technology doesn't care who's using it. A computer will not refuse to work for you. It just it will just do the same thing it does for everyone else. So it's a matter of you deciding what you want to do with it and then using it. All these people that create things with computers, they created those things because they decided they didn't know what the limits were. So they decided to experiment and see if they could find them until we reach the point where we are willing to take the risks required to do something different. We will always, you know, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Mm. For us, technology is the key that will allow us to do something different. I use computers. I've been using computers for 30 years. It's how I made a living. I was very good at it. I enjoyed it immensely. And I uh, promoted their use in our communities because I believed that our kids if they learned how to use computers, would have new opportunities. Well, one of my students has met the president of the United States, not this current president, the last one, the good one. (laughs) And she did that through her skill with computers. She works for Black Black Girls Code. And she met him because of that. So my belief was her reality. It Mm. is possible for us to use technology because technology doesn't care who uses it only that you use it well. And sometimes it doesn't care if you even use it well. For some of us, using it badly is a start. Before mm. you get good at anything, you're going to be bad at it. But just because you're bad at it doesn't mean you have to stay bad at it. So sit down, find a computer, learn it, use it, master it, make it your tool, make it your leverage. Give me a lever long enough and I can move the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's Archimedes. We can do that. The computer is the most powerful technology humanity has ever created, really, bar none. Mm. It's an amplifying technology. It means that it can make whatever you're doing better if you know how to use it. So then there's no excuse for us to not be doing better now that we have access to great computers, great information resources online. You literally can learn anything you want to know about anything from anywhere online. You have the, the world at your fingertips. So let's go change the world. It's ours now. We have access to it. We have capacity to do it. All we have to have is the desire and the belief that we can. I believe we can. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, offline, we talked about your uh, Patreon. You have yep. a, a Patreon uh, and you write every day. Can you talk about your Patreon and, and, and talk about uh, life as a writer briefly? I, I, I promise 20 minutes and we're already I- over. 
So That's all right. uh, I got you. I got you. Okay. Um, all right. I'm a writer. I write every day. I write science fiction. I'm a, I write, uh, um, I have two books. I've published two books. One's Hayward's Reach and the other one's called Broken Glass. One is a collection of short stories. The other is a novella series that I'm working on with my favorite paranormal investigator, Clifford Ingram. Okay. Um, I write a bunch of essays every day, usually for a site called Quora, or I write for essays on Medium. So I write these essays depending on what, usually it's things that make me unhappy. And things I think that are wrong or, or that are, you know, unjust. And I write about those things in an effort to make people aware of them and maybe convince them that they should stand up and do something about it. And mm. to do that, sometimes you need information. So I provide you the information. Now you have the choice to now that you know, what can you do about it? So I write on that. So Patreon for me, my Patreon is patreon.com slash ebonstorm, E-B-O-N-S-T-O-R-M. I write there. I promote my articles. I promote my short stories. I promote my fiction. Um, occasionally a podcast, if I get one like this one, eventually well, I'll link, make a link to it mm-hmm. and uh, share it with people. So, you know, my goal is to show the life of a writer who is writing a variety of things, not just one kind of thing, because the idea as a writer, everyone says, well, you should only write one thing. I said, well, I'll only write one thing when I have one finger left. <laughs> as long as I've got 10 fingers, I'm going to write it. 10 different things whenever it suits me because I can, because I want to, and because I think people are more diverse and more capable than we're ever given credit for. We've been only, you know, we're told our whole lives to be just one thing. I don't think we have to be just one thing. It didn't stop Paul Robeson. He was brilliant at lots of things. Yeah. I think we can all be more than we've been told. So let's do that. Write, create, draw, design, believe. All of these things are right there at our fingertips. We just have to want to do it. Hmm. Free your mind and your ass will follow. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen, family, I'm not going to keep uh, uh, the professor uh, all night. Uh, I do want to say uh, that that essay that you wrote uh, definitely inspired a brother. I connected and um, and I wanted to reach out to you. And I didn't realize how much passion was was was, uh, you know, that you're going to deliver on the program, which is totally wonderful. Um, I hope you uh, podcast regularly, man. I saw you had like a Krypton thing happening. What's oh well, yeah. What's that See, about? I, write, <laughs> I write for a, a media. I write for a couple of media companies. One is called Krypton Radio. It's a geek enthusiast radio. Okay. We get together and we uh, talk about science fiction and fantasy, and I write essays and reviews and talk about comics and subjects like that. And okay. then I work for another group called The Good Men Project, which is a social justice site where we talk about the world and how we can help men become better individuals. Uh, part of deconstructing male privilege and deconstructing the patriarchy is to understand where it went wrong, why it went wrong and what we can do to fix it. And so we talk about that. I write essays there. I've been writing there for about six years. I've been writing for the good men. I've been writing for Krypton radio for about two years now. And I write for a bunch of other people, you know, a bunch of different magazines and things. So I write all the time. Like I said, I write regularly. So anytime I write anything, you know, you can find I post it in my Twitter stream. I post it in my Facebook stream. I write and post and share all the time because I believe that the only way for us to be free is to harness the power of information. And that's why our government is so bad right now at providing you with facts, because as long as you don't have a fact, you don't have a clue and you can't make good decisions when you don't have good information. So I'm a believer in providing good information. I believe I do a good job of it. And so that's why I do it. And that's why I write for these publications, because I believe that what they're doing is good and smart and capable. And we will have opportunities when we realize that we're going to have to make our own way. We're not going to be able to depend on other people because, let's face it, they have not looked out for us for the last 325 years. 
I don't suspect they're going to do anything good for us anytime soon. So let's get together, folks. That's the only way we're going to win. Amen to that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the honor of uh, spending a few moments with Thaddeus House. You can go to uh, uh, Patreon at Ebon Storm and you can support him there. And of course, uh, you know, get the first, I guess, the first look at your essays that you write daily. Uh, yeah, I, that, that is a good place to look for me. Uh, you can also find me on medium.com. I'm always on medium. I post an essay there probably once or twice a week. Um, and I'm on Twitter probably every day. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Ebon Storm, at Ebon Storm on Twitter. And uh, I'm pretty much everywhere all the time. And it's not hard to find me. Um, you can look for my bio at T House, T H O W Z E dot card, C A R D, C A R R D dot C O. And you can find links to everything I write there. So I'm always busy and I'm always looking for people to give reviews, feedback, conversation. Let's talk. We can do this. Mr. Thaddeus House, it's been an honor to have you on the program. It's been my pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening. Yo, family, I hope y'all dug that interview as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. Uh, there's a lot of information that Thaddeus broke down. I hope y'all avail yourselves to it and definitely support the brother. Go over to Medium. Check him out uh, at Ebon Storm. Check it out. And, uh, you know, keep messing around with Thaddeus. You're going to learn something. You can uh, support the podcast uh, every week, every Sunday. I, I come in and bring you guys uh, some new insights from a creative person. Uh, just share it with your friends and family. And go over to Amazon.com and pick up my sci-fi ebook, Malcolm Mars. Malcolm like the prophet, Mars like the planet. It's a sci-fi ebook space opera. Three brothers take their families to Mars. Support the program and uh, support this community family. JonathanSoul.com. Love you guys. We're going to get up out of here. Peace.